0: This is Sam. This is Paul. And this is South Paul.
1: I heard we got some comrades this week.
0: Yep, we do. We got some five-star reviews on iTunes. So who are they? They are J Drones, The111, Bagboy415, Lord of Dogs, and Deontay Wild. Thanks, comrades. And if you would also like to be a comrade, leave a five-star review, and we'll give you a shout-out on the next episode.
1: Okay, now when you walk into the ring... Number one heavyweight of the world. You'll be ready, won't you? Why? Because I waited for 50 years to make you ready. You'll be able to spit nails, kid. Like the guy says, you're going to eat lightning and you're going to crack thunder. You're going to become a very dangerous place. Political debates, especially amongst pundits, YouTubers or social media guys on the left and the right. Every once in a while, outside of politicians will debate each other. You'll see these videos on YouTube or whatever. Watch so and so get pwned by so and so. They still say pwned? No one says pwned anymore. I still say pwned. Maybe when the left wins, we could say pwned. We can bring back pwnage. <laughs> but according to these videos, people like Ben Shapiro and people on the right are doing well.
0: They do better than the people on the left, for sure.
1: But what's the point? Why are they even doing it? If political debate was like a prize fight, it would make sense. You're getting paid. Otherwise, I wouldn't do it. But because I'm getting something out of it, I'm getting paid for my services, then I will do this thing. But what's the point of a political debate? Why are they debating each other?
0: It's just clickbait at the end of the day. They want to expand their brand reach a new audience, maybe try to convert some people and expose the others being stupid.
1: Well, ultimately, it's with the guys that, oh, we're going to change some minds or educate some people. But I don't think it does that.
0: It doesn't because they try to more or less use their own echo chambers and see, well, who has a bigger audience? And it usually just ends up, unless they're on a show where there is no audience members, then it might be slightly better. But for the most part, when they're live, Ben Shapiro always draws the largest crowd. So his crowds are always going to boo your points even before you start speaking.
1: Yeah, it's a popularity contest. I've never heard of anybody say, oh, I changed my mind after watching some YouTube political debate.
0: That's true. But, you know, there's always out of a thousand people, one or two that might switch over.
1: Or maybe it's more for like bragging rights. Maybe that's what it's really about. It's back to the schoolyard. We're doing this for the bragging rights.
0: Yeah, I think it's also out of an hour, hour and a half. How many little moments and clips can I get where I stump you and then I just recirculate that kind of like you make enough music or you fight somebody long enough. There's going to be enough highlights of you tagging the guy and they're going to use that in your intro footage or when they spice your highlights, even if you ultimately lost that fight.
1: So how do we get people on the left, whether it's leftists or progressives or even left moderates to do better on these things? Because it seems like they're going to keep doing it.
0: If you're going to keep doing it, you might as well prepare for it, right? Like a fight
1: camp. We need to interject that fighter's mindset because it's like so much of fighting, professional fighting, MMA, or even like professional wrestling or whatever. As far as the culture war goes, it seems to be like people think it's right leaning, but there's a lot of people on the left who love all this stuff. They love professional fighting. They love UFC. They love boxing. They love WWE, New Japan Pro Wrestling. They love the anime. But maybe a lot of these people who go on these political debates, they've never watched Dragon Ball or they don't know how to properly prepare for like a UFC fight. I don't even know why you're going to do this, but if you're going to do this, then do it right and go into it like you would any contest the same way you would for a fight.
0: I agree. It's like an eight week camp, 12 week camp. How much time do you have to prepare? Is it in a couple of weeks? I'm going to be speaking about so-and-so. Is that enough time for you to prepare?
1: Yeah, because it starts out, somebody called out somebody, hey, Shapiro, I want your title. I'm coming after you. Okay, bring it on. And then they agree on the date. Now you know how much time you have to prepare. That's what a lot of these guys do. More people on the right, they're debating all the time, all these different people. So they're getting all these hours of practice, but people on the left don't have the same amount of practice. So. They need to start taking this stuff more seriously then, right? If they're going to do it at all.
0: Well, I think on top of that, it also really behooves them. Fighters do it all the time where they watch footage of the opponents. It's out there, whether it's through past fights or through their training footage of what they're doing. And you can more or less see patterns and things that they always go back to or arguments that they make. And it's easy enough for you to pause it. Write out your responses. And if they are going to bring it up again, at least you're prepared.
1: Don't go after the big boys yet. You got to work your way up before you go after like the Ben Shapiro's. I mean, whenever I think of debate, I think of Ben Shapiro. That's like his shtick. But debate like Dave Rubin first, Steven Crowder. He's like the level boss. Get your sea legs. Yeah,
0: he's like in the middle because even Ben Shapiro, when he destroys, quote unquote, all these leftists or people, it's always other college students or talk show hosts. What level are they on compared to you?
1: Who would have the heavyweight title for debate other than Ben Shapiro?
0: On the right? That's tough. I'd say, yeah, i put Shapiro up there.
1: Yeah. I mean, he looks like Glass Joe, but... Ted Cruz. I put Ted
0: Cruz at the top.
1: He's M. Bison. Yes. He's, He's Godzilla. Yes. Or he's like the worst of the worst at the top.
0: And then Ben Shapiro would be like Balrog or Vega. They
1: pick and choose their opponents. But in a real tournament, you don't get to pick and choose. You got to fight everybody. So yeah. who would win between Ted Cruz and Ben Shapiro? Ted Cruz, for sure. Ted Cruz would beat Shapiro.
0: I would think so. Yeah.
1: I wonder what Shapiro would say about this. See, that's the thing. It's like if you're doing it for bragging rights only, because you guys know it ain't going to change anybody's minds, then why not do it for real bragging rights? Okay, you're in the WBC. I'm in the WBC. Who, who's the real best? I'm on the right. You're on the right. But who's the king? Yeah. Why don't they do that then?
0: I think Ted Cruz wants to be a politician and president, and Shapiro just wants to build a media empire. So they have different goals, but if they were straight up in a debate where they had to prepare about different topics, I'd give that to Ted Cruz. He's just been around longer, and he's more polished.
1: There's a lot of people on the right who think they're on the same side, but they're not. And maybe they're strange bedfellows because of money or whatever reason, but I don't think Ben Shapiro and like uh, Dave Rubin, even though they come out on stuff all the time, align ideologically, they could debate each other.
0: They could. Yeah, because Dave Rubin's gay. And then it's a sticking point for Shapiro. They recently had that disagreement where Rubin says, so would you come to my wedding anniversary? And Shapiro said, yeah, probably not. And it seems to take him aback.
1: But I think it hurt his feelings.
0: It did. But it's also you're talking to a super orthodox Jew. And what do you think his response was going to be? How can you be surprised at that?
1: Yeah, or like somebody from the alt-right versus the Christian right. <laughs> so weird. It's like, what? I saw somebody on Twitter talking about all the, <laughs> the social justice warriors are going to go crazy and get triggered because I'm posting this picture of myself in a bikini. Because, you know, me in a bikini, that's such a right-wing thing to do. And it's like, OK, what about the conservatives? You got like people like that. And then you got like the Jeff Sessions and Mike Pence's. Dude, they could have a huge debate. You got people who listens to punk rock versus country music. The same thing's going on the left,
0: right? Where you have the Hillary Clinton side of the neocon style or neoliberal style. And then you have the Bernie wing of progressives.
1: See, they're willing to duke it out. They're like, this is real Royal Rumble. Yeah. But on the right, they are talking about two different things. And they're talking about two different ideologies as if they were in agreement when they're not. Yeah. Like you talk about like tariffs and then you bring on like libertarians and it's a whole different world of beliefs
0: well i think at the end of the day they see it as whatever they do is owning the libs so they just have a common enemy oh yeah, more than yeah, anything. yeah owning the libs is yeah we gotta own the
1: libs i'm okay with owning the libs i'll own the libs too yeah
0: but for them it's like an end goal and whatever price they're willing to pay whatever allies they need to coexist with they're willing to pay that price
1: they'll form this unholy alliance to own the libs
0: yeah look at evangelicals who voted for Trump. Like, how did that work? It's Like, this guy just overall goes against everything you stand for. But here we are, where he has like 70% of the evangelical vote. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think that's the weirdest contradiction of all.
1: I have a right-wing friend who's right-wing in a Christian right kind of way. He probably hates homosexuals. And he's not like the only one. That's like an archetype. I've seen him go at it with somebody else who's right wing, but more libertarian, and they're openly gay. And my friend can't even fathom that he's in the same party with this other guy. So why do we have reruns of the same debates? I don't
0: know. But sometimes they would try to call one thing another. There's that famous writer, Jack Donovan, who wrote Way of Men. And then yeah. it's that alt-right guy. He's gay, but then he calls it, oh, no, I'm an androphile.
1: Androsexual.
0: Yeah, it's like what? Just say you're gay, and then he says, "I don't identify with that identity." It's like, well, but all right, I guess.
1: What we're watching is like I don't know, rhinos versus lions, something that might happen in the wild or something, right? But I've always grown up like wanting to see weird shit, like things that wouldn't normally fight, like an alligator versus a tiger.
0: How would that work? Now I'm curious. Are they fighting on land or are they fighting in the water? Because they could, they could fight in either one. Yeah. It's like, for the longest time, I didn't know I wanted Brian Ortega versus Khabib. And then once Brian said, oh, I accept it. I was like, oh, man, now all I could think about is that fight. How would that go down? Yeah.
1: So it's like a lot of these political debates are like early UFC where it's like style versus style. The striker versus the ground fighter. But what about like somebody who's a boxer versus somebody who does Muay Thai? Now that's more interesting to me. Like what happens when it's like alt-right versus like Christian right? Or like libertarian, like do whatever the fuck you want. Versus somebody who's like, no, you have to follow these strict rules.
0: I don't know. But I think either way, I would like to see them get prepared for it like an actual fight and then debate each other. If you treated it like a fight, it would actually go completely different because not only would you prepare for it, you would have to do a lot of training.
1: Well, I think the right already treats it like a fight. Yeah, they have they more of an aggressive mentality. I actually haven't seen too many debates with leftists or progressives or the Bernie Sanders camp. And a lot of them, even if they're old, people don't want to debate them anymore because they do well. Like the Ralph Nader's, the Noam Chomsky's, they don't want to debate them. They're going to pick some celebrity yeah. or some high school kid. I think the leftists are ready to rumble. It's the liberals, the neoliberals. Maybe they're not as prepared. So they're the ones who need to treat this like fight camp. They're going to be like, okay, okay, We got like six weeks to get ready. What's the time of day for the event? If we're going to do this at 6 p.m., then I got to get ready so that I'm at my mental peak at 6 p.m.
0: That's true. Decision fatigue is a real thing. That's why operations that tend to take place after 2 p.m. have the highest risk of failures. Same thing with judgments that have to go past two, because a lot of times the prosecutors and defense attorneys aren't at their best after that time.
1: There's a study, famous study with judges, and they're more likely to grant pardons after lunch than before because yeah. they get all cranky.
0: For sure. That's a real thing that people seem to either dismiss or say, eh, that's an old wives tale. I know, like, no, man, the mind is just like anything else. You have to work, it, work at it and it could get tired.
1: It's mental jujitsu. You got to get ready. You got to start peeking. You got to train to get your mind right by six o'clock. You got to yes. start visualizing. There's mental stamina, but there's just stamina, period. You need to get your cardio up. Yeah.
0: Not everyone can talk for 60 minutes and then still be in the same shape. Because a lot of the time, the debates are done standing. So if you're not even used to standing for long periods of time, it's going to affect you mentally where you aren't used to the physical strain. And then it's going to affect your speech patterns, how well you perceive things, how well you can respond. So it comes down to a lot of factors.
1: If you got to put on your cryo gel... On your knees, or you got to wear your knee pads to get ready. You got to take your supplements. Always. You got to have your posture strength. Maybe you got to lose some weight so you're in better condition. You want to be at your leanest and meanest.
0: Yeah, because similar to that diet talk, it has to come down to, well, what are you eating? Because if you're eating a lot of sugar, especially throughout the day, and then you experience a mental crash, that's essentially a death sentence. Because if you're crashing when you need to be at your top, then there's no way you're going to be able to debate an opponent because it's a mental fight. And you've already gassed out in round one and round two, and it's a five-round fight.
1: The other factor is voice. I'm terrible at this. My voice goes out, like even right now, it's already kind of out. But it goes out easily. So you gotta like maybe take some lozenges every day, get that thing buttered up so you could talk for a long time without losing your voice or keep having to, uh, uh, you know, one of those things or just start drinking straight-up lotion. Just start... <laughs> <laughs> just start downing just you, drink lotion. Just start downing userin every day. Some lanolin. It's smooth, that, buttery voice. Because that. that's the one thing about Ben Shapiro when he speaks. He has kind of like that annoying voice. But you know it's like a very economic voice. That's part of why it's so annoying, because it's at this certain pitch. Yeah. It's not too like deep. It's not too rich. It's this very shallow voice. It's kind of like a jog. His voice can keep that going.
0: Oh, yeah. It's like a Diaz jab. Like, it could go forever.
1: Yeah, it's not that powerful. Like, it's going to break the microphone. Yeah. But it's going to keep peppering you with it.
0: All the time. And then a lot of times it wears out on people. So you might be able to do 10, 15 minutes. But after 20, after 30, he's still going and you're tired. And that's where you make the mistake.
1: It's like when you have the will to fight. I see the punch coming. Body, move. Move out of the way. And it's just so tired you can't do it.
0: You know, it's interesting that you brought that up because one of the other things, I don't know if people do this, especially when they prepare for debates or have coaches or training partners or somebody that can tell them, hey, that isn't working.
1: Oh, yeah, they should definitely hire a trainer, a head coach, maybe even like a singing coach. So you learn how to preserve your voice, talk with the diaphragm. My opinions about Barack Obama is problematic. But one thing is he keeps that that baritone. Yeah. The whole time. And that's what a singing coach can help you. You're not supposed to sing with your throat. Don't talk with your throat.
0: I mean, athletes have coaches, right? And they're the professionals. They're the ones doing this all the time. So if you're going to stake your livelihood on a political debate, whether it determines you get more followers or you get made fun of and ridiculed, wouldn't you want to prepare, bring in the best partners, the best coaches? Athletes do it all the time. Have guys who specifically will stress test your ideas, your thoughts. And if you get whooped in training, it doesn't matter. It's like, well, at least now I know what to do. But if you get whooped on the actual stage, then you look foolish.
1: If you ever watched old school, uh, original Pink Panther movies, Inspector Clouseau used to hire that guy to jump and attack him at any time to keep his skills sharp. So he hired a ninja, (laughs) hired a ninja to attack him randomly throughout the day at any time from anywhere to keep him sharp but 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 hillary or benghazi and then you just got to be ready
0: yeah i remember ben henderson said he prepared for nate diaz that way he had his training partner just cuss him out so he would mentally be prepared so he wouldn't be thrown off his game like what why would you why would you say that so when nate diaz obviously ended up doing it it didn't faze him and he won that fight, unanimous decision
1: so you should also have people just clowning you and booing you and every different thing to just build up that stamina And you gotta stay hydrated. Make sure you're hydrated that day so your brain is hydrated. You gotta be on the right diet. Whatever you've been running on is what your brain wants to run on. And also debates can last a while. You gotta be able to do it the duration of it without having to snack on something.
0: So if you were to be the nutrition, the nutritionist for this type of event, what would you have them snacking on or
1: eating? Well, first they got to start getting on like weeks ahead on some kind of intermittent fasting protocol so they could go hours without having to use food and without getting shakes or brain fatigue or brain fog or whatever. So you got to get used to that. And then you got to do it based around the time that you're going to have the debate. So if you're having a debate at six, that has to be part of your window where you're not eating. Dude, I just need water. I don't need no snacks or a Quest bar, nothing. I'm ready. And you can't do that that day. You got to build into it.
0: It's that old school. I'm sure a lot of fighters have done this before Tito, but Tito always talks about how he trains at night because like, well, I fight at night. So why would I train in the day? And when my body gets revved up at 12 in the afternoon, that's not going to be helpful.
1: Most boxers do that anyway. Yeah. You got to cut out the junk food, cut out the alcohol. Or if you don't want to do intermittent fasting or you want to do intermittent fasting on the next level, then you could do the keto diet. Damn, keto's not right for everybody, but if you want to do this, your brain just runs so much better on fats, but you need to get keto adapted for that to happen. And that takes several weeks. So actually in six weeks, you got that much time, you, you'll probably peak and you'll be at your best on the day. Cause like the first couple of weeks, you're going to be sluggish. You're going to have uh, flu-like symptoms, but by then you're going to be running on your own body fat. I don't need a handful of nuts. It's going to get in my teeth when I'm debating. I'm good. I'm good. And what I would also recommend on top of that and hydration is coffee, black coffee, because you don't want to put in other stuff and get a sugar crash. You don't even want to risk putting milk in there because there's milk sugars, just black coffee, good quality, black coffee, and then take two Advils, not because you get got a headache, but it's like the coffee and the Advil combined will open up all the blood vessels in your brain. You, you'll be ready to go. And plus, you know, for, uh, Debates, nobody doing drug testing anyway. One of the reasons that creates cognitive decay or decline in people is because their testosterone goes down. So on top of all this, man, you could start getting on the TRT, be at your best, have that bulletproof memory you had when you were in your 20s.
0: Or that memory recalls like, you know, earlier you said blah, blah, blah. But actually, yeah, yeah, you could do it right on the spot. And it's interesting that you brought up about how when you started the keto diet, you end up with flu-like symptoms and you'll feel like shit. That's also, I think, an important part of preparing because fighters will do it where, okay, let's just do one hand or one uh, leg this time. Like it mimics if you're injured in a fight. So that way, okay, you're prepared. You don't freak out. You don't say, oh, I hurt my hand. What do I do? It's like, well, you've already trained for this. Let's just default to it. So if you're able to still prepare while you're going through the keto diet, then it's kind of like bringing in training partners and start from mount. Start from when someone takes your back. You start from a shitty spot and then you have to work your way out of it. You have to be used to that situation or else when it happens in your life, you're going to panic and you're going to drown, get choked or knocked out.
1: Because from day one of camp, you're already getting bombarded by what about Hillary or Benghazi or you're a Benghazi or whatever, right? They start calling you a Benghazi and you have to deal with that during your worst when you had the flu-like symptoms. Yeah. And shit happens. So what if that day you have the flu? You're not at your best, but you're already used to it. You're ready. Yeah. In your mind, you're like, oh, I've seen this shit before, man. Yeah. And then also part of something you should do is go to the auditorium before the event. Just get used to yeah. it. Just, not just fighters, but athletes, Olympians especially, will go to the, where the event is being placed, the auditorium or the stadium or whatever, the venue, every day, just to be used to driving there, mm-hmm. just to be used to being inside of there. And then they'll listen to audio of just crowd noise, just getting that mind right.
0: Yeah, making that walk for the miles under the feet. And then it's funny because Andre Berto talked about how Mayweather knows every square inch of that ring. He knows exactly how many breaths he's taking, how many breaths you're taking, how many footsteps you've done, what seconds are left in the round, how to look busy when he's tired, how tired you are. And it's one of those things where if you're going to debate, you're going to be standing on a podium. How big is a podium? Do you have place to put your notes? Is it just going to be where Oh, I have to use flashcards. Well, I wasn't ready for that. I had an actual notebook. Or where's or the microphone level? Oh, man, I can't stand for this long. Hmm, I'm not ready for this. And then all those things crash down the day of the event. But if you're prepared, you already know ahead of time.
1: You saw this in the UFC when Pride Fighters came over and they came over from the ring. And then they weren't ready for the cage. And they just took it for granted. It's like the battleground itself. Why does it matter? And of course, terrain matters. Musashi talked about this. Yeah. The terrain makes all the difference. Actually, pro wrestling, that was a big gimmick because they'll say, I'm the master of the cage. I'm undefeated in a Hell in a Cell match or a cage match. That changes everything. You grow up, you watch this, you know it's different. So debating with somebody like sitting at a bar is different from doing it on the stage. And people who've done it before, who've done it a lot, they're used to it. And if you've never done it before, you're going to have like that first time jitters. It's like the octagon jitters. You got to get over all that before you even get there. You you can't get over your jitters while you're doing the event.
0: You know, speaking of pride, it's also the five minutes versus the 10 minute first round. Because sometimes that would throw you off because if you're good at making your points, but it takes you time to build up, but it's your responses have to be in 90 seconds. You better make sure your responses are pared down for 90 seconds. You can't start on a point and then get to it. And it's like, you have 10 seconds left. It's like, oh, I'm nowhere near where I'm done. I'm on my second bullet point of four. Yeah. I think it also comes down to, like you mentioned about social media, how people are going to bombard you. That has to be another factor that you're ready for, because if people are calling you names, talking all the shit, and you're not ready for it on not just the day of the event, but ahead of the time, then you're going to waste precious mental energy fighting trolls, fighting the other side's defendants and their proponents. And if it comes down to it, you have to be ready. And sometimes they might give you valuable information like, oh, here's so and so already wrecking someone like you. It was like, hey, thanks. I didn't know this. Now I already know what he's going to talk about. He's like, prepare.
1: They're already giving you the illegal footage of like the football team. They're giving it to you. They're giving it to you in the trolling.
0: Yeah. You don't need to go Bill Belichick and be like, hey, so what's going on, guys? They'll give it
1: to you just to like, to try to own you. They're going to give it to you.
0: It's like that Steven Crowder changed my mind. He doesn't really want to have his mind changed, but if you give him enough facts, why not use it in reverse? It's like, well, why is Ben right? And then they bombard you with, here's this, here's that. Here's oh, deconstructed. Yeah, and then it's like, okay, thanks. I already have all talking. It's not like he's going to come up with something new and novel all of a sudden.
1: One thing that can't be discounted is experience. So a lot of people coming into this, they're only used to arguing for like 20 minutes. Oh, yeah. With their friend or in a bar or whatever. Whereas this other person might actually have come from a speech and debate background or, you know, they're an attorney or whatever. So they're used to the length that you got to go all day. Yeah. Right. And you're used to going 20 minutes. You're a sprinter, but now you got to run a marathon. Yeah. So you got to get those hours in. You got to get those reps in.
0: A lot of fighters don't do this as often, although you see it with like the Tony Ferguson's world, but it's more prevalent in the boxing world where you bring in sparring partners. You're not really... Part of a camp where, oh, yeah, we all train together, we're teammates. Because then after a while, you kind of get used to their rhythm, their style, what their habits are, what their strengths are. But if you bring in people just to stimulate your opponents, it's like, hey, I'm fighting a long, rangy southpaw that is very fleet footed and likes to take X amount of steps in one direction. It's easier for you to fly those people in and prepare for it as opposed to, okay, guys, who in our camp fits this criteria? Well, okay, then I guess that's what we're going to use. Tyrone Woodley is a good example. He flies in people specifically who can mimic his opponents. And that's why I think after the Rory fight, he hasn't lost. And he really took that to heart where he said, I have no one that can mimic Rory. So in the future, I need to make sure I bring in the people who fight just like them.
1: Championship mindset. Yeah. Fight IQ. Yeah. They they need that fight IQ.
0: Even before he fought Robbie, he called his camp champ camp. So it's like, oh, he's already mentally there.
1: If you're going to debate somebody on the right, they're going to represent right wing capitalism. It's not going to be hard to pay somebody then to come over who has a lot of strong right wing views. You don't need to do role play. They're not going to be like, I'm so ideologically pure. I'm not going to take your money. Yeah, Money is and money. <laughs> they, they like money. Yeah. Give them money. They're going to come over and help you train.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: One of the things you can't criticize the right is that they don't love money. They love money. Yeah, that's what pay for. You got to pay something. You got to pay for good sparring partners.
0: I always. Yeah, that is 100% true, because if it's free, you will only attract a certain demographic of people that really want to help you. But just because they want to help you doesn't mean they're ultimately beneficial
1: because they want you to win. Yeah. So they're going to be holding back. Yeah. My big ultimate point, though, is just like a fight and part of Fight IQ is what is the context how do I win this thing? So this is where we get into game theory, strategy theory. This is where you bring in like Greg Jackson or some of these MMA head coach, master strategists, like a Matt Hume or a Faraz Zahabi. A lot of people go into debates, not even understanding clearly how you're supposed to win this thing. Right, like, What are we goal? even debating?
0: Yeah. Like, what's the goal here?
1: Is, is it just like aggressive freestyle talking? I don't like you. You don't like me. And We're just going to go like a rap battle or something. No, there has to be a clear context of how to win or lose and what this is about and how do I win? How do I gain advantages? So you have to use game theory. You have to understand the rules.
0: Yes, because I think Mayweather is, for my money, the best boxer we've seen. And when I say boxer, in the sense that in that squared ring, no one beats him. He knows the rules inside and out.
1: He's not trying to knock you out. Yes. He's just trying to win. Yes. So for- don't try to like get one zinger and like, boom, I got you. Yeah. Because actually, that's part of the problem is you're thinking, you're not thinking the long game. Yes. So how do I win this thing?
0: Yeah, because Ben goes in knowing that I need to destroy you. I need to leave you with no doubt that I won. Whereas the left might say, I'm going to try to convert people with my ideas. Like, that's not what the debate is for, unfortunately, especially in these formats that we have. Because fighting, just like anything else, is... It seems pure but there's also limits and times, right? It's like, well, how can it really be fighting if you're not allowing a knee a so down opponent or soccer kicks? Yeah. So if you allow soccer kicks, we might have different champions. If you kept in headbutts, Mark Coleman might still be champion, who knows. But rules changed a lot of the things. If boxing allowed clinch work, Mayweather would either be better or other people who have been training that style longer might be able to deflect it. But Like you said, if you know the terrain, you're better equipped moving forward. But if you're going to be a long type of like, well, it's the same. I just need to out-talk the person. Then you're woefully unprepared.
1: Just like a real fight, asking a fight to change the hearts and minds of all people or all Americans, you're asking too much of a fight. It's beyond its limits. And it's the same thing of a debate. You're asking too much of a debate. So don't even go there thinking that's the win... You've already set such a high bar that you're never going to accomplish that. And in fact, post-Trump, what we've learned, the evidence is showing that when you give people facts or truths or whatever, it doesn't change anybody's mind. When you have try to have these civil conversations to debates, it doesn't change anything. If anything, what the evidence has shown is that they'll double down and go deeper into their beliefs. So already throw that out the window. You're not trying to win by changing hearts and minds. What you should be thinking about is what is the medium? It's like JFK, when he beat Nixon, he knew that it was going to be on TV. So he played to the TV. Well, now we're on the internet. So what people on the right are thinking about, I'm just going to say this because it'll play well in like a short clip. Yeah. So the left has to think like, I have to get to my meme bullet points. Yes. You got to say like these pwnage kind of memeable moments.
0: Not only that, but when you do just a clip and then they have that classic one where the sunglass and the cigar or the weed drops down as this thug life. Mm-hmm. There's not enough of that on the left. They always attribute it to guys on the right, like Ben Shapiro owns, destroys, yeah. obliterates, Jordan Peterson destroys. And then it's always with people that are outmatched. So it's like, yeah, that looks fine, guys. But if you took, let's say, who's the UFC fighter that like say Evan Dunham, great fighter. Maybe in the top 15, top 10 at one point. But if he did nothing but spar amateurs, he would look like the world champ. But we all both know, no, that's not necessarily the case. He's good, but not great. And that's what the right has done very well. They are good at selecting opponents that they Tomato know they cans. can beat. Yeah. That's Jobbers. essentially what they're doing. It's like, oh, I could beat this guy. Yeah. It's like, I could beat this dude.
1: When you do watch these things also, I'm like, man, give me something like a memeable moment. Like some kind of thing. Put that as a caption, some pose you made. There's nothing. There's
0: no. Nothing. No.
1: You got to play to the medium. Give the young, the young left something to work with that they could post on Reddit.
0: Yeah, not just Reddit, but like I said about the social media game, that's just an entire animal in itself. That might be something you have to outsource to somebody who's better than you at it. I was like, hey, because if you're a fighter, you can only worry about so many things that you have to give do these other people, an agent, a manager, a nutritionist, strength and conditioning, head coach, grappling coach, striking coach? It'll be the same thing. Like, I can't manage social media and practice for debate or practice political points. And I also can't figure out where I'm stalling. So I need somebody to point out certain things to me. So you keep coming back to this point. I was like, what if someone challenges you on that? Can you provide an answer right away? Or are you just going to say, oh, just Google it? because that's not going to be a good enough response. You're going to yeah, have to be yeah. able to cite studies.
1: They always hire these like social media managers or some shit like that, right? The last several years the left has been all about like glamorizing and falling in love with billionaires and CEOs and they become the new heroes. So, you know, they're taking advice from Ted Talks and bullshit and NPR. They're like, "Oh, we all need social media managers and stuff like that." No, you know what you need? You need a chief Mimetic warfare manager.
0: That's true. Bernie so does that really well.
1: You need somebody who can win the mimetic warfare. Just owns on the memes.
0: Yeah, right. Because I didn't know this, but Bernie hired the guy who worked for Now This, okay. and he runs all the Bernie Sanders Facebook and like social media campaign. Oh, so when he takes clips from when Jim Carrey was on Bill Maher and he talked about universal healthcare. care. Immediately within the day, he took that clip, piece it together, put it out there. And then now he's the one who's associated with universal healthcare and Jim Carrey. And then he's on it. Whereas a lot of these other candidates are like, Oh, that's great. I agree. It's like, I don't know outside of you saying it at some point, I don't have anything that I could trace back and share with my friends. Like, did you know, Yeah, yeah Andrew- give us
1: something shareable, man. Yeah,
0: It's like, do you know Andrew Gillum said that where? Oh, he just said it on the radio. You listen to the radio. I haven't listened to the radio since I got Spotify premium. So I have no idea what's going
1: on nowadays. We got to take back the memes of production. we're like relying too much on old media we're focused more on winning emmys than we're on winning hearts and minds anymore
0: yeah but then it always comes down to it what's the new medium that everyone is using because i have younger siblings they're not watching the news on tv it's either come through them through snapchat instagram reddit sometimes facebook even facebook is kind of for the older crowd because they're like oh mom and dad are on it fuck this is no cool yeah exactly So you have to go where the youth are. And that's one thing Bernie's been able to do very well.
1: Not even go where the youth are. Forget the youth. I mean, they're part of it, but it's more like you got to go where the culture is.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: And the culture is no longer around just the TV or the movies. And also that's just entertainment. You got to like actually say what you're trying to say and don't have it left up for interpretation. That's the good thing about new media like this is you just say the damn thing instead of like trying to put it into some tearjerker moment in some Academy Award winning movie.
0: Well, not only that, but I think the more money you take from a bigger power, it limits what you can and can't say. But if you just take donations or individual contributions, you can say whatever the fuck you want. And if the people don't like it, they just stop paying for it. But if you had a big donor who cuts you a check, then you have to run these rules by the mind. Oh, what, what do you want me to talk about? Or what's off limits? Oh, okay, I'll just avoid it oh, so what's my position on so-and-so? It's like, really, you have to fucking beg and ask, what well, can I talk about and what should I avoid? No, and people can sense that when they ask you a question and you hesitate or you say, well, I think it's important for us to consider. Oh, I was like, oh, motherfucker, you got paid off a long time ago.
1: People keep wanting to rerun for office if we're talking about politicians. Yeah. You can totally. totally like, just take the money and then like, fuck you. I'm going to just take your money, but I'm not going to do any of the things that you wanted me to do. But you got to do it because you want their money again the next time around. So part of this is like being a career politician, you know? Yeah. But then that's not the whole thing either because presidents in their second term, they can't run again and they'll still like keep up all the promises they made when they took campaign contributions. So it must be also they're thinking about life afterwards or yeah, I don't know. Or maybe the other the people who give you money also have dirt on you or they create some kind of situation when you take the money if revealed, it's going to make you look bad. So they're like, so you still have to follow it. Who knows? Who knows what's going on?
0: Look at Trump because he, I don't know if he took money while he ran for his presidency, but because he was independently wealthy, he could say wherever he wanted. No debate was off top and he could switch mid debate and no one called him out. So he would take a policy position. Then in the next question or two, he would be like, no, that's not what we have to do. We have to do this. And then no one was like, wait, what? But you just said so-and-so. So Ted Cruz, who I still put above Ben Shapiro, lost to Donald Trump in a debate because he wasn't ready for that. He wasn't ready for that style of attack.
1: Taking money when you're a politician is just nothing good can come from it. No. I mean, I guess some good stuff is you have money for your campaign, but it comes with too many questionable things. Your motives will always be questioned. You yourself might have to compromise yourself to take the money. And also you do have to live up to promises. You know, it's not like some utopian Pollyanna world where you take that money and that's it. No, it always comes with strings attached.
0: Yeah, because somebody paid for your campaign. Somebody put up all those ads. Somebody put in the posters and volunteers for your campaign. So it's like, hey, man, that bill comes due at some point and you need to pay up.
1: Actually, speaking of taking money, a lot of the new media pundits, besides just making money on Patreon and advertising, they also get paid. By, like, private donors who have, like, certain political agendas that they want them to talk about.
0: Yeah, the Koch brothers, the Walton family. They know what they're doing. They're actually more media savvy than a lot of the liberal ones.
1: There ain't going to be no big corporation want to give, like, some leftist socialist money to, hey, here's some money to talk shit about me. (laughs) That's one thing you can't accuse them of. So it's not like they're going to get money. But on the other side, there's plenty of companies and foundations and think tanks that'll want to give you money so that you stay on certain topics.
0: Yes, I think it's also why it's hard to get fighters to unionize because there's always going to be somebody that we're willing to do the stuff you don't want to it's like okay i'll i'll do it like i'll I'll fight for that much the other guy wouldn't i'll take it so it always comes down to people with political beliefs because ben shapiro is getting paid to talk about all this stuff he has not just sponsors but people who fund his program that studio doesn't come cheap his publication the daily wire is funded not by subscribers but by a company that has a vested interest but if that dries up i don't know if he would still stay politically within the same party or if he'll just go wherever it seems that he could drive the most viewership and get people to pay
1: one thing we know about ben is that he's very religious right so would he if it wasn't for like sponsors who are like oh we want to hook you up with this guy or that guy do some stuff together like would he would based on his religious views And his conservative views want to do stuff with somebody like a Dave Rubin, or would he want to be on like Joe Rogan and be part of that table when Joe Rogan used to do all those commercials for the, for the fleshlight. They're getting money from sponsors that don't want you to know about it. Right? Like those foundations and, and those think tanks or those private donors who are like, we want you to push this agenda. We want this out in the culture. We want you to be our cultural warrior. So we want you to do stuff with these guys to spread the message. Yeah, And I think that's very compelling. You're giving me money. And also maybe those sponsors are like, I'm also giving this guy money. So we want you guys to do, it, just, it becomes like a stable. I'm like Ric Flair and like, I'm part, <laughs> of, it's like, I'm the four horsemen. And so, you know, you're under me, but this other guy's under me. So you guys have to come together and you got to, you got to be part of the horsemen, you know?
0: Yeah.
1: That, that's insulting to Ric Flair. Bobby Heenan. Bobby hmm. Heenan, like when he had the Heenan family, that's actually better. Like people who normally were natural enemies, then he was bringing together like Andre the Giant and like King Kong Bundy, this guy and that guy together all into the same stable million dollar man. Bobby Heenan, a million dollar man, they represented that 80s corporate money, that Reagan era corporate money. It actually is kind of a good one for one analogy where it's still these like rich old dudes with a lot of money. was like, I want, I want you to pair up your tag team partner now is the big boss man. I know normally you wouldn't partner up with them, but we got to do it for the Heenan family, for the million dollar team.
0: Would that be similar to what Vince McMahon did back in the day with the corporation where he had wrestlers under his table because he just had to get protection under him?
1: Yeah, they always thought that was like a, such a unique thing of what they call the attitude era of pro wrestling. But that was already done. Like Bobby Heenan, a million dollar man already did that.
0: Yeah. So I was wondering, it's like, I've seen this somewhere before. I can't quite put my finger on it.
1: The difference was that before they were pretending to be rich guys, whereas Vince McMahon really was the rich man. Yeah. And that already like was already showing. People were sick of their rich billionaire bosses. Mm -hmm. The biggest ratings were like when Stone Cold was flipping off his boss and like fighting his own boss. That was like everybody's fantasy, right? So there was already this like populist rage going against the rich elite. And then the liberals completely dropped the ball and it became somehow the rich billionaires became the defenders of the working class. They're like, okay, you don't want it. I'll take it. And so now instead of people cheering for Vince McMahon getting stone cold stunned, Donald Trump, who's kind of like a one for one thing of who Vince McMahon was, became the leader of the working class or of the pro wrestling locker room. It could only happen because he's dropped the ball.
0: It seems like at least the Democrats of today are closer in line to professional losers. It's like, how else can you gain so much momentum and then still manage to fuck it up? It's like, you have to work hard at not succeeding because if things are handed to you and then you still manage to lose, it's like that takes skill because most people would accidentally stumble into success. But if all these things were volleyed up to you, it's like a layup, and then you still fucked up. It's like, okay, you must have practiced at losing.
1: Some people even like fail up, but the Democrats are like used to succeeding down. They get all these advantages. Yeah. They're almost like uh, the team, the Bad News Bears beat <laughs> you know, in the old school movie. It's like, oh, you had everything, and then you just blow it. Don't do that.
0: I don't know what else to say because, oh, man, it looks like everything's on the rise. Things are on the come up. And then within, it's like if somebody went overseas for a year or two and then they came back, like, what the fuck happened? Who's president? No, 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 I can't. No, that's not true. Him? All right, then what about what? You could ban countries now? So it's one of those things where how did you lose everything? Even at this point, human
1: decency. Well, I see a lot of articles online where people are talking about, don't let the right co-op this or take that or blah, blah, blah. And it's like, they're not taking anything. It's not like they took it from you. Yeah. You no longer were interested in that movie or you no longer were interested in that genre of music. You no longer were interested in the Renaissance fair. So it's not like they <laughs> took it from your fucking cold, dead hands. You just like left. You're like, no, I'm going to Hollywood. Yeah. Fuck all this other shit. They just came along. Oh, nobody. You guys don't want it? I'll take it. It's like uh, the cafeteria. That's a day they're giving you chicken fried steak. Yeah. And you don't like chicken fried steak, but I like chicken fried steak. So it's like, okay. Oh, you don't want this? You don't want this steak? If you don't want it, I'll take it. That's kind of like what happened. I didn't steal it from you. You didn't want it. You're like, no, no, Sam, I'm moving on. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to prime rib now. <laughs> I'm going to like the big times. I don't want this shit no more. You know
0: what's funny? When you- brought that up i think of michigan and how rick snyder's their governor because it's always been traditionally blue or very solid blue and then they just decided well let's let a businessman run it was there no real good democratic or liberal candidate up for it and then rick snyder just saw an opportunity like well, I used to run a company gateway computers running a state how much different can it be and then you saw with the way he especially handled the flint water crisis it's like, so this is kind of what happens when you let a businessman run everything. Everything just kind of goes down to, well, how can we save the most money? As opposed to, well, how can we serve people? Because that's ultimately what a business does. It's to make money and bring profits to shareholders. Whereas government, fundamentally, is we have to serve the people and do what's in their best interest. So I don't think it works.
1: You know what makes a good heel? Heel is like what you call a bad guy in uh, pro wrestling, all right? So you know what makes a good heel? is they're not supposed to be better than you. They're supposed to be an opportunist. Ah. So the biggest opportunists are the best heels. So it's not like the right are so good or so powerful. You were saying that in the culture war or in political candidates or whatever. It's like in WWE, outside of the belt, they have something called like money in the bank. Mm-hmm. And it's open for anybody to take. And it's also you could use it at any time to win the championship. And so... They're playing up that heel opportunist thing where they're like, okay, you're already down. I'm going to use the money in the bank and then take all your shit. And I think that's kind of like what's going on where we're not good opportunists. We're not that's like true. looking for these opportunities. It's like we're just abandoning opportunities. And it's, they're just like, well, I'll take it then. I'm a good opportunist.
0: You know, it's interesting that you brought that up because if you look at pro wrestlers, the most memorable ones are always the heels. They call Ric Flair the nature boy, but oh, he's he also was a big opportunist. Yeah, the dirtiest player in the game. And there's also Roddy Piper.
1: The same shit happens in MMA or Jiu Jitsu, actually. There's certain guys, they're not like super good, but they're good opportunists. So if you just leave your hand out there, they'll fucking take that arm bar. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. But they're not like a Damian Maya or like a really good technician where they're inch their way and then they just take what they want. They're just like, if you're just sloppy and you don't think about it, you're not dotting your i's and crossing your t's boom they'll take it if you give it to them Mm -hmm. and i think that's a lot of what the right is doing well is (laughs) every time you fuck up we'll take it we'll take that opportunity so it's not even more like what they're doing right it's more like what are all the things the left is doing wrong
0: so i'm curious what do you think the left will lose next or what have they dropped the ball on that the right will just pick up
1: kavanaugh supreme court
0: Which is not even politically, but just in like a cultural sense. What
1: would they take? I mean, there isn't much more to take. They took everything. So maybe it has to be now when it was like the corporation took over and the Degeneration X were the good guys. Yeah, there we go. And they had to start taking things back one by one. Would progressives
0: be the DX?
1: Yeah, I think progressives would be like Degeneration X. Progressives, leftists, like more that. Yeah. So they weren't like the typical faces. The typical baby face of like the super goody goody two shoes who's actually just a weakling, you know, those would be like the liberals or the neoliberals who are like in bed with corporations and yeah. the corporate democrats. And then you got the DX who like, fuck all that shit. I'm gonna do what I feel like. I'm gonna do what I think is right. I don't follow any other rule than my own conscience. Yeah, I think that's a good analogy.
0: But ultimately these guys are celebrity tomato can crushers. They'll never debate anyone smart. And whenever they do get challenged by someone smart, they always back out.
1: So to explain what a tomato can is, that's a term from fighting. Sometimes you hear it in uh, pro wrestling, too. What are tomato cans? Basically, they're what you kick down the street, right? So tomato cans and fighting are just these people who are really easy to beat that you just use to pad up your record. So in the world of political debate, it sounds like Paul is affirming that the celebrities are the tomato cans.
0: Yeah, because celebrities don't have to do any in-depth policy research. They don't look at facts and figures as deeply as, let's say, an economist or another professor would. So it's easy to
1: beat them. They're actors. They're just dumb. Yeah, for lack of a better word. They're dumb. They look at Kanye. <laughs> you know, they don't read.
0: So can you imagine having to debate people on that level all the time? You'd look amazing.
1: You look like a genius. You're just styling on them. It's like when you're sparring somebody who sucks, you know, it just looks like you're really good.
0: Yeah. If you beat a bunch of nobodies or people who have no awareness of what they should be doing, you end up looking like that guy, Charlie Zelenoff. Who's that? Charlie Zelinoff is a guy who got infamous off of challenging people to fights randomly at 24 Fitness. He's mentally ill for sure, but he'll give people gloves. He uses a glove tap as consent. And then he just wails on them. It went okay until he actually pissed off Deontay Wilder by insulting his daughter. And Deontay Wilder damn near killed him.
1: (laughs) It's probably like people who thought Ronda Rousey had really good striking because they would watch her do pad work. So fighting a tomato can is equivalent to pad work. You look amazing on the mitts. But all of a sudden you go against somebody really good like Holly Holm. Or Amanda Nunes, and then you realize, oh crap, this person is a master of punching mitts, but not at actually boxing or kickboxing. Or better yet, because of the viral video era, it's more like breaking boards, where it looks cool, it's fast, it makes for a cool little video, but it doesn't mean anything.
0: And you know what they say about boards,
1: Or oh, don't hit back.